name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Marion Hill was uh, born in, in the lap of luxury. She was a princess in Hungary. She went to the best schools. In fact, the story is told that her first spoon was a solid gold spoon. Uh, she went off to Vienna for, to study, and, and there she met Otto, and she married Otto. Otto was a med school student, and he, they returned to the States, or they went to the States, and, and Otto, they lived in Hollywood, California, and Otto, instead of pursuing his medicine, started dabbling in films and became this, this wonderful uh, movie director, Otto Preminger. Some of you may have heard of him. And Mary and his wife, her beauty and everything else about her just uh, led her to be this extreme hostess, but unfortunately, she really couldn't handle all that came along with that. And she ended up giving herself over to alcohol and drugs and numerous affairs, and eventually Otto divorced her, and her life really fell apart, and she moved back to Vienna. There in Vienna at a party, she met uh, the famous Dr. Albert Albert, uh, Schweitzer. You may have heard of him. He was a medical missionary to Africa. And uh, she asked Dr. Schweitzer if, he, if she could meet with him, and if, she, if he could meet with her, and she, he said yes. Uh, he was on leave from his hospital in Lamborghini, uh, Africa, and he began to meet with her. And so he met with her for, uh, for six weeks. He met with her every day. And uh, then at the end of that time, she asked him, actually so they, the story is she begged him to take her back to Africa with him to Lamborghini. And People surprised everyone, but he took her. He took Marion back to Lamborghini, Africa with him, where she spent the rest of her life, listen, uh, emptying bedpans and bandaging up uh, poverty-stricken people from, uh, from where they were. She wrote her own autobiography, and she entitled it, All I, Ever, uh, All I Want is Everything. And when she died, Time Magazine quoted from her autobiography. And this is what, this is what they quoted, her, her words. Albert Schweitzer says, there are two kinds of people. There are the helpers and there are the non-helpers. I thank God he allowed me to become a helper. And in helping, I found everything. What if this morning I told you that you only have 24 hours to live? And then I said, hey, of those 24 hours that you have to live, you only have six hours in which you can do whatever you want in those six hours. What would you do during those six hours? And I've thought about that, and it's no time to visit anything. You can't go anyplace, right? What would you do in those six hours? And I think what I would do if I had those six hours is that I would get on the phone and I'd call a number of you and I'd share with you what was on my heart, you know, how, you, how much you meant to me or whatever. But I would probably get my family and my, the people that are most important to me and I would, I would bring them in and for six hours we would just talk and I would probably share with them some of the most important things uh, in my life. Well, I want you to know that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's, a, that's where we are in our study of the Gospel of John. You remember last week, it, with chapter 12, we really come, at least in John's portrayal, we come to the end of Jesus' public ministry. You remember that he went and hid himself after 
you know, being public, he went and hid himself from the public. Now from chapter 13 to the end of the, end of the gospel, we're going to find Jesus directing his conversation at his disciples. In fact, what we're going to find in these last chapters of, of John's gospel is we're going to find Jesus with basically six hours to share with his disciples. And the things that we're going to study in the weeks to come, they're going to be the things that evidently, in my estimation anyway, were the things <clears throat> that Jesus considered to be most important. And one of the things that Jesus considered to be most important in this six hours, in fact, it's his leadoff thing, is the, the theme of servanthood or being a helper versus a non-helper. Let, uh, let me pray for us again. Can I do that? Father, you know, clear our minds. Lord, we, we confess it's so easy to just multitask now and to let our minds wander and be thinking about this, that, and the other. I pray that our minds would be attentive and riveted into the things that you want to say to us through this story that happened uh, one night in Jesus' life. So teach us now from your Bible, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You might think that if I'm going to talk about something important, it really wouldn't be talking about servanthood. Maybe we should talk about leadership. If that's Jesus, why isn't he talking to these guys about leadership? Instead, he's going to talk to them about servanthood. And can I say this about Jesus? Jesus is our consummate leader. He's the one we follow. And one of the things that we say about our Savior is that he demonstrated servant leadership. He combined leadership, but also service. He managed to do both of those things together. But in this particular incident, Jesus isn't going to focus on leadership. He's going to focus on being a servant. Now, this is not the first time that he's brought this up. This isn't a newbie thing. This is something he's been talking to these men all about for the last three years. For instance, in Matthew 20, 25, Jesus says, but Jesus called them to himself, talking about his disciples, and he said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not to be so among among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. For the Son of Man did not come into the world uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 23, another time, he's exposing the false heart of the Pharisees, and this is what he says, but the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Again, in Mark chapter 9, another incident in which he is uh, there he's, he's got a child in his lap. And this is what he says to them. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. And then at the end of that exchange, Jesus says, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 12, verse 37, Jesus teaching a parable. He concludes it, blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on alert when he comes. Truly I say, uh, that he will, that is Jesus, will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. So in this parable, Jesus says, here's what Jesus wants to find. He wants to find his servants serving him. And if he finds them as servants, then he is going to gird himself up and serve them. Now, one of the most insightful passages dealing with this John passage in chapter 13, we find in Luke's account of the Last Supper, the, the account of the last evening together. And in that account, here's what Luke writes. Listen, 
Then a dispute also arose among them about who would be considered the greatest. So this is that same night. Here's what I want you to understand. The foot washing thing that we just read or that Stan just read us about, it happens in this context. There arose a dispute among them about which of them should be considered the greatest. So they're together on this last night. Jesus has gathered them in what we call the upper room, second floor of this building, and they're fighting over who's the greatest. That's the context. Verse 25, but he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who have authority over them have, them, are, have themselves called benefactors. It is, not, like, it is to, not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, whoever leads like one serving for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one serving. Isn't that the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Obviously, Luke's Luke's recording of this happens at that time after Jesus has washed their feet. It's in that context that Jesus says, he says, who's the greatest? The guy sitting at the table or the guy serving the table? He says, it's the guy, it's the guy sitting at the table, right? He says, but I'm not sitting at the table. I'm not the guy sitting at the table. I've been the guy who's been serving. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This tells us why Jesus washed feet that night. He washed feet because they were arguing over who's the greatest. Three times at least in the course of the past three years, Jesus has had to address this issue that they are fighting over who's going to be the greatest. And, and on three different occasions, he pretty much tells them that my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. My kingdoms, we don't measure greatness in your position or in your power. We measure greatness in, in your heart to serve. We measure greatness in humility, not in these positions that you have. Now let's walk through the story. They're together. Evidently, they're arguing about this. I don't know if Jesus said anything. It sounds like he probably didn't. But he gets up from the table and he takes off his outer garment. He gets a towel and then he begins to wash people's feet because there's no one in the room. There's no servant in the room to wash feet. Now, I know you've heard this before, but washing feet was a custom of that day, and it was a real needed custom of that day. <laughs> Yesterday, I worked out in the yard with Ann, and I had those, my, my tennis shoes with those little sockies on, you know, and when I took them off, I had a tan from right there on up, right? My feet, my legs were absolutely, absolutely filthy. Then I walked around barefooted, and so when I actually went to clean myself, my feet were terribly dirty. Imagine walking with no socks and no shoes on dusty roads, no asphalt or cement. By the time you you get to the end of the day, your feet are going to be dirty. And so it was a customary thing that the lowest of the servants would wash feet. And so in this particular night, there's no servant there to wash feet. And Jesus gets up from what he's doing and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. When he comes to Peter, Peter realizes how humiliating this is for Jesus to do this. And he says, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, I don't have any part of you. And he says, well, then wash my hands and my head too. And then Jesus makes that statement. It's metaphorical, I'm sure. But he says, hey, listen, if you're clean, 
If you're clean, the only part of you that gets dirty when we walk the dirt is, is your feet. So if you're clean, all I got to do is wash your feet. Not all of you are clean. This is where the metaphor comes in. He's talking about literal dirt on your feet, where he's talking here about, about a spiritual cleanliness. And he says, you guys are clean. He says, but, but so you, your feet need washed. And if we take that metaphor, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin, but, but that doesn't mean that we don't get dirty as we walk through life by stumbling and sinning. And, and you know, we need to confess those things. That, that's the metaphor picture that Jesus is giving us here. But that's not the heart of this. That's not the heart of what happened that night. The heart of what happened that night is Jesus wants to talk about who's great in the kingdom of God. And he wants to visually illustrate it for everyone that the person who's great in the kingdom of God is the person who's willing to serve. It's the person who doesn't care about position and power and notoriety and acknowledgement and appreciation, but it's the person who's willing to humble themselves and serve. So in this story, what I'd like to do for the next few moments is I'd like to walk us back through it again, and I'd like you to see with me some of the things that Jesus says about servanthood, or, or at least see some of the things that are true about servanthood, whether Jesus means to point these out or not, they're definitely found in the story. So hopefully, and this has been my prayer, that God would speak to our hearts about serving. Because, you know, we live in such a, we live in a society and in a world where, where being a servant isn't, there's not much value on that anymore. You know, we all want to be somebody, we all want to be in charge, we all want to be served rather than served, but rather than serving. So this is a challenge for all of us to, to take a look at our king Take a look at the one we follow and look, look how he lived and what he did and then say, wow, how does that translate into my life? So here, here are the things that I want you to know. First of all, I want you to see that God expects all of us to be servants. All of us, every one of us, every one of you in this room who names the name of Jesus and follows Jesus, what should characterize your life is that you serve others. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put them, put on his outer clothing, he, or took off his outer clothing, excuse me, he reclined again and said to them, or put it on, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, if I, the son of God, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, you need to do what I have done. And, and again, listen, he is not, he is not, talking about washing feet here in its singularity. He's not saying that we all need to wash feet. We don't wash feet anymore. We wear socks, socks like these. Aren't they wonderful? Happy socks, right? I wear my happy socks because I want to be happy, right? We wear socks and shoes. Our feet, they get clammy and sometimes smelly, but they don't get dirty from dirt in the road, right? We don't wash feet anymore. Jesus wasn't saying, he wasn't talking about just washing feet. He was talking about doing service things that nobody else wants to do. And he says, I've given you an example. Now you go and do what I've done. All of us are called to serve, but some of us are given an extraordinary ability to serve. We're given a gift to serve. First Peter chapter four, verse ten: As each one has received a special gift, employing it and serving one another. All our gifts are to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do it as the with, by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Here's the point. 
Some of us are gifted as servants. I mean, it comes natural to us. God wired us that way. We love to serve. We get great satisfaction from serving. It's just wonderful to serve, and we love doing it. But that's not true for all of us. Some of us hate it. Some of us are still walking around in a lot of selfishness, and we really don't like to serve. But here's the point. Everybody everybody, whether you have the gift or not, you are to be a foot washer. You are to be a, a servant. Now, lest you feel slighted, we find this throughout the word of God a whole lot. God gifts people with specific gifts, but he expects all of us to do it nonetheless. For instance, there's the gift of evangelist. There's the gift of somebody who has the ability to share Jesus really, really easily and really, really well in such a way that's compelling and challenging. I think that's a gift from God. But whether you have the gift or not, you're to be an evangelist. You're to be sharing Jesus with others. I mean, I'm, not that you have to know everything, but you need to talk about Jesus. And it's something for all of us, whether you have the gift or not. Hospitality. Some of you love hospitality. You love to open your home. You love to cook for people. You love to have people in your home and encourage them. You know, but whether you have the gift of hospitality, and by the way, it's listed as a gift, whether you have the gift of hospitality or not, all of you are to be hospitable. All of you should be opening your homes. All of you should be inviting one another. And not just inviting one another, but inviting your neighbors over to your house to eat and share a meal with you so that they might just see Jesus in you around the table. It doesn't even have to be where you're trying to present the gospel. You're just being Jesus to them. You get what I'm going with this, right? I'm talking about servanthood, but I'm trying to tell you, if you don't have the gift, don't feel slighted because that's how it works in, in much of what God has done. He gives some of us with the gift, maybe it's so we can see how it really works, but all of us are called to do an awful lot. In fact, I want to suggest to you that the more mature you are in Christ, the more you're going to demonstrate a lot of different gifts in your life, I think. You're, you're at least going to demonstrate a lot of the things that God desires of us in spiritual maturity. Jesus expected all of us to be servants. As I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. One thing about washing feet back then, there was plenty of opportunities to do it. Every time you came in from outside, your feet were dirty. So there's plenty of opportunities to serve. I suggest to you today that there's plenty of opportunities for us to serve today. And can I say this? You think sometimes you serve one time, that makes you a servant? That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a lifestyle of you and me serving others. We're, we're talking about a way of life. There's a couple of people in our church that have the gift of service. Every time I see them, they're serving. And it doesn't matter whether you know they're serving or not. They're just serving. They're doing what, you know, I guess what they feel called to do. I, I'm not sure how that works. But all of us, all of us are to be being servants. So here's my rhetorical question I want you to ask it. If you were to ask your husband, if you were to ask your wife, if you were to ask your children, what characterizes my life? And then specifically ask them this, does servanthood characterize my life? Do you see me being a servant of others or do you see me waiting on other people to serve me? That's a question we ought to ask. And I tell you, if the answer is not what it ought to be, that is that my life is characterized by serving others, then it's something for us to work on. It's something for us to challenge ourselves with. Number two, being a servant means personal involvement. Verse four, it says, he got up from the supper, laid aside his, his outer garment, took his towel up, tied it around him, and then he, he poured water in the basin. He began to wash and dry feet. Here's my point. You cannot serve by proxy. 
You cannot, if Jesus had paid someone else to serve, it would not be Jesus serving. The only way for you to serve is for you to do it. It's for you to get personally involved. Servants get their hands dirty with people's dirty feet because they are willing to get involved. In the days of the Civil War, you could actually pay somebody to go fight for you. You could pay them and say, would you go fight for me? And you could pay their um, salary to stand in for you. I think we have that mentality when it comes to service. I give money and that's good enough for my service. I'm, I'm paying somebody to serve. That is not true. One of the things that I appreciate about Jimmy Carter, and, and maybe Jimmy and I theologically, you know, we're not exactly the same by a long shot. But one of the things I really appreciate about our former president is that he's always been one who's been willing to serve himself. He's been willing to dirty his hands with migrant workers getting out in the fields and working with people. He's been willing to do habitat for, he's been willing to, he's been willing to serve with his own two hands. And this is the kind of thing that I believe Jesus is saying to us. We cannot vicariously serve through somebody else. I have to be the servant. Number three, being a servant means seeing opportunities to serve. Now on that particular night, there's no one to wash feet. All the disciples are sitting around lamenting, saying, man, I wish there was somebody to wash my feet tonight. Not realizing there's 12 other men in the room who all are saying the same thing. I wish somebody would wash my feet. They're so uh, focused on what they want that they're not seeing the opportunity to serve anyone else. We need to be looking around and just seeing opportunities to serve because the truth is, let's be honest, if, if, we're, if we're not actually looking to serve, then we're just going to be so in, in focused on our own stuff, what we've got going on, where we're going, what we're doing. We're not going to see the opportunities to serve. So here's what Jesus is, is I think, trying to say to us. It, look for opportunities to serve. Look around you. They're all around you. We just have to be willing to see them. Now, you know, before, before we just, you know, look at those guys and say, well, you know, if I'd have been there, I'd have washed everybody's feet. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. But if you, but let's just say you had of, you know, I, I, I think we're a lot like them. I think we're a lot like these guys. So we rake our own yard, wishing that our kids would rake it for us or whatever. And, and forgetting that the little widow lady down the road doesn't have any kids or, you know, they don't have anybody to rake leaves. She doesn't have anybody to rake leaves for her. But we, we don't even think about that. She's not on our, our, she's not on our radar. Or we, wish, or we wish that somebody would come visit us or, you know, we wish we had more friends or whatever. And not realizing that there's people in the nursing home who no one ever visits them. No one ever visits them. You say, well, I don't know them. What does that have to do with anything about serving, about serving people? I mean, I mean, I hear this. That, you know, there's little, there's little old people in the nursing homes that nobody, they have nobody. And, you know, if they're mentally ill or whatever and they wouldn't appreciate your visit, that's one thing. But there's people in the nursing home, nobody visits them and, and they don't have mental illness. And they would love for you to come and visit them. But, you know, that's going to cost you, isn't it? That's, that's getting your hands dirty if you would. D.L. Moody said, and I quote, a good many are kept out of the service of Christ, deprived of the luxury of working for God because they're trying to do some great thing. Let us be willing to do little things and let us remember that nothing is small in which God is the source. And I think Moody was right. You know, a lot of times we're not willing to do the little things because it's just so little. 
It's not a big thing. We're wanting God to use us in a big way. Well, let me tell you something. If you go and visit the little widow or the little widower down at the nursing home who has nobody and you befriend them and you love them and you go to see them, that, that is, that is, that's a big thing. I've told this story several times before, so forgive me since I know some of you have heard it, but it's so good. So D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody, you know, led these, you know, he's the great evangelist of years gone by, but he also had a Bible conference. It was called the Northfield Bible Conference in Massachusetts, and he would invite European pastors to come over from Europe for this Bible conference, and they would come. And the first time he did it, he was walking, I guess they put them up in dorm rooms, I'm not sure, but he walked down the dorm the dorm hall one evening, and as he walked down the hall, he realized that all these pastors had put their shoes out by the door. And he realized then that their custom was that there was somebody, there was a servant in the hotel or whatever that would come and get the shoes and shine them at night. I guess that's sort of like foot washing, right? Cleaning up the shoes that were dirty. And so D.L. Moody went to some of the ministerial students and asked if, if they would be willing to shine shoes, and everybody had a reason why they couldn't shine shoes. And so D.L. Moody went and got all the shoes himself and sat in his bedroom and began to shine them. And the only reason they say we know about this story is somebody came to visit D.L., and, uh, and they walked in when he's shining all the shoes uh, that night. So the next morning, all those pastors got up, went to the door, there were their shoes all shined, no idea that their benefactor or the servant who had sh- uh, put shine on their shoes that night had been D.L. Moody himself. Now that man after that went and recruited others, so, so Mr. Moody didn't have to do that anymore. But D.L. Moody had, maybe the reason why D.L. Moody was so great was that D.L. Moody was such a servant, and he didn't care, he didn't care about position. He just saw an opportunity to serve, and he did it. Number four, being a servant means acting with humility. Jesus says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that's what I am. And if I'm your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. There are two ways that if you're going to be a servant, it's going to require humility of you. It required it of the Lord Jesus. Number one, it means that you have to do things that you sometimes consider beneath you. That you have to do things that you would say, well, somebody else should do that because I've been a Christian for 15 years. I've been a Christian for 25 years. Hey, by the way, I'm 60. I deserve not having to do that anymore because I've done my time. And I've actually heard us say that kind of thing. I've done my time. It's somebody else's time to do that sort of thing now. So can I tell you, it, humility comes in. You have to do things that, that you maybe consider that that's not yours to do anymore. Maybe, you're, maybe you've done your part or whatever. Humility is the denial of self and the ability to not think of myself more highly than I ought, but esteem the needs of others as more important than my own. We, uh, we often say to ourselves when it comes to serving, why should I serve when so-and-so hasn't served? You ever felt like that? Why should I serve when so-and-so never serves? Why should I serve when a great number of people never serve? Well, I tell you, if, if that's your focus, you got your focus in the wrong spot. Because your focus shouldn't be on what other people are doing. Your focus should be on what does King Jesus want you to do? He's the one that told us, hey, be a servant, be a servant. And the second way that this requires humility is it's, it's often not just that you do things that you think maybe are beneath you because of you've done your time or whatever, but it's things you don't want to do. And it's things that are hard to do, you know, and it takes humility to do the things you don't want to do. Is that not true? 
Answer me. Is that not true, everyone? It's hard to do the things you don't want to do. And maybe you don't want to wash feet because it's a nasty thing, right? You don't want to do that service thing. And, and, uh, and so we put stipulations on it. I'll serve when I want to. Or I'll serve if people appreciate it. Or I'll serve if it gets recognition. True servanthood serves because it imitates the humility of Jesus. And it recognizes that I'm sure he didn't want to wash feet that night either. But he did it because he proved, he showed them, he proved to them that it's, it's not about what I want, but it's about what God desires of me. Uh, I don't know if I should do this or not, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why is it so hard to find nursery workers? Why is it so hard to find workers for cleanup days? Why is it always the same people when we used to take up chairs and put them down? Why is it always the same people doing that? Why is it hard to find folks to help the aged or the poor? And I think the reason is because these are not necessarily fun jobs and they're not recognized jobs. They're just things that are hard to do that need to be done. And, and I think that's why it is, because we're too selfish. Remember Jesus, Luke twenty two twenty seven. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So guys, listen, let's get, our, let's get our eyes off of each other. Let's get our eyes off of even ourselves. And let's put our eyes on the king, who was the one who was at the table, got up from the table, and he served. And let's be like him. Let's serve. Can you imagine if we had a church filled with people, a family filled with people who were falling over themselves to serve one another? We'd be, we'd be a church that, we'd be a different kind of church. Number five, there's seven of these. So number five, being, being a servant is a whole lot easier when I know who I am. I love this. Verse three, Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands and he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the table, from the supper, laid aside his outer garment, took a towel and tied it around himself. Now I love it. You get that? Jesus knew he was. He knew he was from the father. He knew he was going back to the father. So he got up from the table and, uh, and he washed feet. So Jesus, he, he recognized, you know, this is not about proving anything. This is not about, this is not going to somehow affect who he is. His self-worth is not tied in whether people recognize him or whether he takes the lowest of jobs. Boy, could we learn from that. Our self-worth is not found in our jobs or, or, or people's, people's recognition. It's found in the fact that we belong to Jesus, right? He's our king. I mean, that's where my self-worth ought to come. It's where yours ought to come from. You belong to Jesus, the one, the one for whom, the one who came to the world to die for us, who laid down his life for us, who said, I should have been in the world to be served, but I'm not. I'm here to serve you. I mean, he, he knew who he was. Here's the truth about you. You are a child of God. You don't have to be first. You don't need to be the best. You don't need to be recognized. You know why? Because you're already seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. You already belong to him, right? And he has promised for you eternal life and life in his kingdom forever and ever. And we're going to be together forever. And we're going to be with him forever. And so that's all that should matter. And that's all that should direct our steps. And that's why we ought to be falling over ourselves to serve other people. Because that's how Jesus was. That's, how, that's who he was. And if you know who you are, then you can be a servant because it's not a statement. Being a servant is not a statement of anything about you. It's a statement about your king. Number six, 
Being a servant is always going to cost you. And I guess maybe this is the reason why it's so hard for us to serve, because it costs us something to serve. It's always going to cost you something. In Jesus' case, it cost him energy. It cost him ease. He's reclining at the table. It's going to cost him to serve those men by washing their feet. It's always going to cost you. Here's three things it's going to cost you every time. Number one, it's always going to cost you time and energy. If you're going to serve others, you've got to surrender some of your time. Your most precious commodity in life, I think, is, is your time. I mean, we've got a, we've got a, it's finite for all of us. We're all going to die. And so when I trade my time here on earth for, for what I could be doing for myself or, or, you know, how I could be pleasing myself, I mean, it's costing me something to serve others. I'm having to give up my time. It's always going to cost you time. It's always going to cost you energy when you serve. Um, I could give you all kinds of examples, but I'm running low on time. Number two, it will cost you resources, namely money. When you serve others, you're going to be surrendering money. Now, maybe you're not using money. Uh, maybe you can serve in some way. It doesn't really cost you financially. But most of the time, like, for instance, if you go and serve uh, on the mission field or if you serve, I mean, just about anything usually costs you money in getting there and staying there, whatever you're doing service-wise. Uh, but even if it doesn't specifically mean you have to take out your wallet and, and give money, when you're trading your time to serve that could be used and you earning money, so you're giving resources. It's always going to cost you resources. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 2 said, we're to get, the, the, the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were serving one another by giving up their finances. And number three, it's going to cost you your plans. And maybe plans and time are similar, but I don't know about you, but I hate it when I got a plan and it gets changed. Don't you? I got a plan. This Saturday I'm doing this. This Friday I'm doing this. And then at the last minute, you find out, man, there's somebody who really needs you, and you've got to, it's them or your plan. And it's really hard to let go of your plan, isn't it? But serving always means you let go of your plans. Because if you're serving someone else, you're putting yourself under their plans. Now, I want to tell you as a dad, I'm, 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 I was going to say I'm done. I don't know if I'm done as a dad. You know, my kids are grown now, and pretty much my, my, influence, my, my responsibility as a dad is going to be influence. I mean, it's not direct involvement necessarily, but, but even with my own kids, even, even now, what am I talking about? I'm still letting my plans go. In fact, last Sunday, I took a lawnmower to my son, and I'm lamenting my plans, you know, I, the, the plans that I had to let go to take, and he didn't ask me. I did it on my own. But as a dad, I remember I was, I was constantly surrendering my plans to serve my children. During the Second World War, Polish priest Maximilian Kolbe, he was arrested for hiding Jews. And he was in Auschwitz. And then uh, in Auschwitz, they, three, three prisoners escaped or they couldn't find them. And the camp commander decided to make an example somehow. So he ordered 10 men out of random that he was going to starve to death as a, what do you call that? Uh, a way of keeping everybody else in line. This will happen to you if this happens again kind of thing. And so he chose one fellow, Francisco Gajaniski or something like that. I'm butchering his name. But anyway, the man began to cry. My wife, my children, I'll never see them again. At this point, Colby raised his hand and he said, I'm a Catholic priest. I'm willing to take the man's place. And, um, and, and for whatever reason, the commander uh, allowed it. And in the starvation cell, um, Colby, you know, celebrated mass, sang hymns with his fellow prisoners, probably most of them Jewish. 
After two weeks of, of dehydration and starvation, he's the only person still left alive. And uh, so they gave him an injection in his arm to kill him because they needed his cells. So he didn't get to starve to death. They, they killed him by injection. But here's my point. Colby was willing to serve Francesco. Francesco, he was willing to serve him by giving up the greatest plan of all, his, his plan to live, right? He, he gave that up to serve others. So yes, serving requires cost. It costs us to make, it costs us to serve. We're gonna have to sacrifice. It can be hard. It'll require us to be mature and to grow up. But when we do that, when we do that, God just does so much, so much more in our life. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that brings me to my last point from the, from the story. And that is that being a servant, if you and I will choose to serve each other, if we'll choose to serve others, lay down our, our wills, our lives for others. If we do that, if you, just what Jesus said, you will be blessed by God. Verse 17. If you know these things, talking about serving, you are blessed if you do them. So how are we blessed by God if we serve? So I've, I've given this some thought, and, uh, and I would say that there is a sense in which we'll be blessed in the future. I, I'm, not, I'm not born again. I'm not made right with God because I serve, but having been made right with God, I think service ought to be the outflow or the outgrowth of that. But there is a corollary between me serving and God's blessing in the future. Here, here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So he's basically saying this. When you serve others, you're serving Jesus. Jesus said this. You give a cup of water to someone in my name, you're really giving me that. You visit me in prison, you're really visiting me in prison. Remember that? Remember that? Okay, so there, there is a sense in which there is a future reward, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about here and now. If I'm serving now, I'll be blessed now in this life. And here's what I want to say. Happiness and joy are the results from girding up your waist and serving one another. We sang about it, right? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey what? Trust and obey this that Jesus says about being a servant, there's no other way to find joy and happiness in life but then to serve, if you would. They're the, resort, resorts, the results of girding up your waist and serving one another. The blessing of serving others is the delight of the heart that you experience. The blessing is experiencing the joy of our Father, too. So I read the story of a pastor who was standing in line in New Orleans, and uh, he was from South Africa, and uh, the family in front of him had little, you know, they had just a little bit of food on the belt, but when they went to pay, they didn't have enough money. So he reaches in, gets some money, and he taps the guy in front of him on the, he says, don't turn around. He said, but here, take, take my hand. And he gave him some money. He said, evidently, he said, Jesus loves you, and gave him enough money to pay for the food. Years went by, and this pastor was preaching in another church. And this time, he was preaching, and after, after it was over, he said a man came up to him and wanted to talk to him, and this is what he said to him. Several years ago, my wife and our child were destitute. We had lost everything, no jobs, no money. We were living in our car. We also had lost all hope, and we agreed to a suicide pact, including our child. 
However, we decided first to give our son some food, and we drove to the convenience store to buy him some food and milk. While we were standing in line at the store, we realized we didn't have enough money to pay for the items. You know where the store is going. But a man behind us asked us to please take some money from his hand and not look at him. This man told us, Jesus loves you. We left the store, drove to the designated site, wept for hours, but we couldn't go through with it, so we drove away. As we drove, we noticed a church with a sign out in front of it that says, Jesus loves you. And the following Sunday, my wife and I went there, and we were both saved. He then told the pastor, he said, when you began to speak this morning, I knew immediately that you were the man who gave us that money. The reason he knew was because of the... South African accent. He said, your act of kindness was much more, was much more than a simple good deed. Three, three people are alive today because of it. And I chose to tell you that story because I want, to, I want you to put yourself in that pastor's position. Imagine how he felt when he heard the story of his serving. Just a simple thing, probably just a few dollars, but he served that guy. And when he did, you know, just imagine the joy he felt those years. I mean, no joy at the moment, except maybe the joy of helping, but imagine the joy that he, here's what I think Jesus says, if you be a servant, you're going to experience such joy in serving others, being involved in their life. Does that mean you'll never get hurt? Oh, contraire, absolutely not. You can serve and be butchered by the ones you're serving, okay? And it can hurt an awful lot. Jesus, the consummate server, the greatest servant of all, would just in, what, nine hours die? No, a little bit more over nine hours. Nine hours be crucified and then die for us, right? So, hey, just because you're serving doesn't mean it's not going to hurt, but I'm telling you, there's joy in serving. All right, I'm done. There's four areas that I want to challenge you to serve in. You could probably figure them out, but let me give them to you. Number one is your home. Number two is the church. Number three is uh, your community, your neighborhood. And number four is your work environment. There's four areas where I think God wants you to serve. Wants you to serve in your home. Young people, listen to me. Danny, listen to me. God wants you to serve. Reese, you listening to me? God wants you to serve in your home. Parents, fathers, mothers, you you need to be servants in your home. Husbands, wives, serving each other. The home, if there's any place that we should be a servant, it should be our homes because we have the greatest investment with those folks. We love those folks the most. And yet that's often the place where we want people to serve us rather than us serve them. The home, the church, your, your neighborhood, these are the areas, this is the sphere in which you and I should be living out what Jesus said right here. Now, I'm not trying to stereotype us, but I think one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to serve in in any of these areas, or maybe all of these areas, listen to what I'm going to say, it's because because we're encrusted with selfishness. I think we live in a a community, in a culture that's really just pushing selfishness on us. It's all about me. It's all about having it my way, right? And I'm not trying to be down on the Burger King commercials, but they're just, they epitomize the point I'm trying to make. That everything in our culture says it's all about you. We, we live in the self-autonomy in our culture is the big, big thing. Everybody is self-autonomous. So, so here's my point. The reason why I think we have a hard time serving is because we're just encrusted with selfishness. Last week I told you that I long for God to bring fresh wind and fresh fire into our church. And I said this, I said, you know, when, whenever God does, he breaks us, he breaks us. And I'm like, well, what is it that God has to break? 
Have you ever thought about that? You know, we talk about brokenness and people are crying and people are broken by the Spirit of God. What is it they're broken about? I don't know, but this is, this is something that happened to me this week. This is what I think that means. I think when God breaks us with fresh wind and fresh fire is the thing that he's doing is he's crushing that, that selfish encrustment that gets all around us, that makes it all about us. And when it's not all about me and it's all about him and it's all about others, then, then that's when in that brokenness, it's like a jar. You break a jar and what's in the jar comes out. We break the selfishness around us and what comes out of us is, is Jesus who's living in us. So, so this is what I think God wants to break is our selfishness, which leads us, of course, to serve others. So I want to end with three very practical Uh, very nothing things, but three very practical suggestions for you this morning to live this out. Here's the first one. If, If God's at all speaking to you about being a greater servant than you are, then start by talking to God about it. Start there. I mean, tell the Lord, Lord, I'm not a, if you're not a servant, if you're not a very good servant, if you're actually pretty selfish, then start off by telling father about that. Tell him, hey, God, I'm not a very, I'm not a very selfless person. I'm, I'm really all about myself. Would you help me? Would you change me? I'm telling you, well, the Brooklyn Tabernacle has a song where there's, there's no song that God loves to respond to more than a song where I'm saying, I'm confessing my brokenness and my need. So just begin to tell the Lord, Lord, I need help. I want to be a greater servant. I want to be different than I am. Start there. Ask the Lord for help. Number two, And maybe this should be number one, I don't know. But number two is make a decision that you're going to grow in this area of service, that you're going to choose to be a servant. You make a decision. So much in our lives begins with decisions. We poo-poo decisions. We say decisions don't really mean anything. And I've done this because it's not the decision, it's the walking it out that that matters. Decisions don't matter unless you walk them out. Everybody agreed? In other words, if I make a decision and it never changes me, it's nothing. But you know what? The walking of things out, it, they often begin with a decision. So here's what I want to say. Make a decision. Lord, I want to serve. I want to be about others. I want to, per, I want to prefer others as more important than myself. Begin with a decision. And number three, start today. Don't start tomorrow. Don't say this is a wonderful message. I'm going to start tomorrow on that. No, right now in your seat, say, God, I want to begin serving now. I want to change now. I want you to break this this hardness of my heart. I want to begin to be a servant now. So young people, let me go back to you for just a minute. Go home and begin to be a servant because you're starting right now. Be a servant now. Young people, you know how you can serve? Quit running in the church. Not that we have a lot of runners, but you know when you run, you might, you might walk over Miss Virginia. You see Miss Virginia walk, Jenny walking out, she's, she's with a cane right now. You're running. You can run into her. You can knock her down. That would be really, really painful for Jenny, right? We can begin serving this very moment, but young people, go home and serve. You know, go home and do the dishes without being asked. Make up your room. Pick up your clothes. Those are simple ways to say, listen, here's why I'm saying that. I want you to see I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about huge things. I'm talking about simple things. Just be a servant. Old people, there's all kinds of ways. Old people, I'm talking about younger than me. You, you can, and, uh, and older than me too. Anybody over a kid's age, that's you. Let's, let's, let's serve. Choose today to be a servant. Let's bow our heads. I want to give you an opportunity to, to, to decide.
right now in the, in the quietness of this moment, just decide, Lord, I want to be a servant. Help me. You know, cry out to God. See, listen, if you're not a good servant, if you really are a selfish person and you're willing to admit it, if that's you, then, then, then right now say, Lord, change me, work in me. I can't do this on my own. I've tried. And just ask God to help you serve. Choose to be a servant now. Maybe the Lord's going to even put some things in your head and your heart that you know your wife is just, she longs for you to serve her and your family in this way, men. And you know it because she's been asking and asking and asking, but you just, you are unwilling to listen because you are selfish. And this is a time for you to say, Lord, I want to serve my wife. Women, I mean, the same goes for you. You know, if God is speaking to you, just take a moment, make a decision. This is the point where it begins, not the point where it necessarily matters, but this is the point it begins if you're willing. And then for some of you, yes, make the decision to serve, but some of you need to make the decision to follow Jesus. I was having a conversation with a brother. Keep your eyes bowed. Just listen to me. I was having a conversation with a brother this week, and he was saying, well, you know, how, how, do, how does Bacon's Castle help people begin to follow Jesus? You know, because uh, we don't necessarily have you know, an, an invitation. I don't ever ask you to come. I very rarely ask you to come up here to the front. I'm not really asking you to come to the front right now, but I am asking you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, wouldn't you want to decide today to follow this king who was unlike any ruler leader we've ever known? I mean, who, who said, I have the right to rule as the son of God, but I've come into the world not to be served, but to serve. Don't you want to follow this king? Aren't you willing today to make a decision to follow the king? I want to invite you to do that. Make that decision as well. Today, I'm following Jesus. Today, I become one of Jesus' disciples. Today, I put my faith in Jesus. Won't you do that? God, hear our prayers. Lord, it's it's wonderful that you are such a great God that we can all pray at the same time all across the world and and you, you know everything there is to know. Lord, today, would you, by your spirit, work in our lives. Lord, break selfishness. Break, break the encrustment of selfishness that so easily gets around us and keeps us from serving and keeps us from, from loving people and being like you want us to be. Lord, would you break that? And Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Lord, may today be a day of beginnings for so many of us. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Mm-hmm.